the first ever film in HD of, of giant, uh, squid. giant squid in its natural habitat. And we didn't just capture a glimpse of the giant squid. We filmed it for 22 minutes. What is going on, futurists? This is your host, Michael Zakond. I'm a 20-year-old business student at the University of Michigan and founder of Our Future, a media startup that takes you beyond business news to deliver exclusive industry insights and the secrets to success from the brightest minds in business. And today I am bringing you one of my favorite interviews of all time. I'm being quite serious on that. It was an incredible conversation. But before we get to that point, I got to tell you guys to subscribe to the Our Future newsletter at OurFutureHQ.com. You will get a behind the scenes look into some of the most exciting companies and startups with witty and smart commentary, as well as subscriber only live events where you can meet some of the amazing business leaders we interview here live on Zoom. And before I take you guys quite literally under the sea, a review on Apple Podcasts means the world to me. Our reviews have been rising. We went from 30 to 45 in two weeks. Can you get me to 50? It's been going up like the tide. But Michael, what are all these ocean analogies for? My next guest is Patrick Leahy. That's why. He is the co-founder of Triton Submarines. Patrick's company makes the finest underwater crafts on this planet. His submersibles have recorded the world's deepest manned dives, as well as captured the extraordinary footage of the deep sea described to you by Sir David Attenborough himself on your favorite nature documentaries. Patrick's company has enabled us land-going humans to understand and connect with an entirely new universe. Patrick is the second ever Canadian to reach the bottom of the Mariana Trench, and he shares unbelievable insights. I'm personally a diver, and I'm in love with the ocean, always have been. So this interview means a lot. The question I ask all of my guests, right, is when you were my age, when you were 20, what did you envision yourself doing? Well, for me... That's a, an easy question to answer because it did happen very early. You know, although I grew up in Canada, actually in Ottawa, Canada, about as far from the ocean as you can sort of get. When I was seven, my, my parents moved us down to Barbados and it was in Barbados where I fell in love with the ocean. Going back to your question, you know, I knew. And so I'm in diving school. I, I turned 19 when I was in dive school. So when I was, you know, you're, you're 20. So you said, what, what did you think you were going to be doing when you were older, when you were 20 years old? Well, I already knew what I was going to be doing. I was going to be working underwater. I thought that maybe I'd have a career as a commercial diver, but that career kind of got hijacked because by the time I was 21, I got the opportunity to dive in a, in a submersible. And that dive changed, changed me forever because as a diver, you know, you're subjected to the forces of the ocean. You have to go through, in some cases, really punitive decompression mm -hmm. periods. Uh, it's very hard on your body, especially if you're doing deep diving, mixed gas diving, saturation diving. So when I was asked if I was in, would be interested in learning how to operate these little miniature submarines, which were common and quite popular in the late 70s and early 80s, they were called atmospheric diving suits. And uh, they asked if I'd be interested. I jumped in, went on my first dive after, well, back up a second. You know, when they said, would you be interested? I said, are you kidding me? You know, of course I'd be interested. Like somebody asking if you want to jump in a spaceship, you know, and 
thing that was fascinating about it is I could go as deep as I wanted, stay as long as uh, was necessary to complete the job I had to do. And then you didn't have any of the punitive decompression, any of the limitations that you do as a diver. So right. I just realized this is what I, I want to do. It's, it's awesome. You, you found your passion so early. Um, I kind of feel that way with, with podcasting and, you know, I kind of have a similar story in that, you know, growing up off Monterey Bay, I would put on a, a wetsuit. I'd lay down in my backyard and just pretend I was, I was, I was diving and I got my cert when I was 15. So not too far after you did, but I always, I've always loved the ocean. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited for the interview. So let's fast forward here uh, to 2007 when you founded the company. And since that time, I mean, Triton subs have broken countless records. They've been the vessels responsible for the deepest dives in history, as well as some of the most amazing documentary footage that we humans have seen of the ocean. But how did you go about starting a submarine company? I mean, did people yeah. tell you you were absolutely crazy uh, to do it? After operating other people's submersibles, fixing the submersibles made by other people, having to make excuses for the limitations of another person's design became tiresome. I felt, you know, we could do better. So with the experience I'd gleaned in my career and, you know, armed with some other uh, critically important partners and friends, uh, we said, okay, let's, let's embark on this idea of building subs and putting them on yachts. Now, you, you said, was there a market for it? No, there wasn't at the time. I used to be, we were ri routinely ridiculed. We'd go to boat shows and we'd say, we can put a submarine on your yacht. People would laugh at us, you know, look at Looney Tunes over there. What a stupid crazy idea that is. But in actual fact, it was an inspired idea. If you think about it, yacht owners are predominantly people who love the ocean. If they didn't, they probably wouldn't invest the kind of money that would be needed to own a yacht. So in some cases, not only are they interested in the ocean, they're, they're avid divers, they're explorers, they have an adventurous spirit. They tend to have the resources necessary to buy so, these man. things. And they've got a platform that can be used to support them, to launch them, recover them, support them by charging them and that sort of thing. It took a while. Initially, you know, we, we would put the shingle up and like I said, we'd be ridiculed. But eventually, you know, we had a customer and actually I the customer was a guy named Chris Klein, who's a gentleman who passed away, unfortunately, last uh, summer, July 4th, one year ago. He took a chance that we weren't crazy, gave us an opportunity to build the first Triton sub. Handed you several million dollars to build the first Triton That's submarine. Right. Yeah, so wow. I remember vividly showing him the sketches of what we wanted to build for him. And you could see the, the wheels turning, you know. Is this uh, really, is this group really going to be able to do this? And fortunately for me, there were some people on the call that knew me from my career in the commercial diving industry and reassured Mr. Klein that, that we could, in fact, pull this off. And he took a chance. And it takes people like that, you know, a maverick, somebody right. willing to break with the pack and try something new. And really, I think his experiences after he received the first sub is really how the conversation began to change. And that's what was needed, right? Because subs, people's perception of what a submersible is or whatever, a lot of it is, is not accurate. You know, they think it's complicated and dangerous and 
uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to have uh, nothing but problems if you buy one. And so it took a while to have people like Chris, who, who were our first customers, our early adopters, who were talking about the rich experiences they were having in our products and how right. yeah. fascinating it was to dive to hundreds or thousands of meters and see these Cr things you couldn't see any other way. The complexity of building a submarine, right? Can you compare it to a car or an airplane? Uh, like where, where does the complexity of it lie relative to other products that we might be familiar with? Yeah, sure. I think that's a, a good, a good analog. I mean, they, they're probably not too different from an aircraft, a helicopter, a, you know, a, a car. Uh, it's, it's a vehicle after all, it's a craft. It happens to go in the water, under the water. Uh, to give you an example in terms of numbers, if we think, if, if I take the Triton 3303, which is our most popular model, we've built nine of them. We're just about to start our 10th one of them. It carries three people and dives to a thousand meters or 3,300 feet. And it's made up of about 14,000 parts. So that's a lot of parts. And most, a lot of those parts, you know, are, are things like hardware and stuff that, that are relatively standard. But a lot of it is stuff that we have to design and engineer and fabricate and test. And that process is, I think, at least partially what accounts for why submersibles are in some cases prohibitively expensive. Fact <laughs> that you create personal submarines for people to cruise under their yacht in the ocean and explore it blows my mind. And I think is, is just insane to think about. You sell submarines to people who have yachts. And that was kind of the main focus, the main target market of the business. Uh, but what about for research and exploration? When did that element of the business become come to the forefront? And further, I don't remember there being a lot of huge nature documentaries before, you know, 2007, sure. 2008, well, right? It was, yeah. There was a revolution in, in natural filmmaking, and you were perfectly positioned for that, too. Sure. I think it was really more of a resurgence because, you know, certainly when I was growing up, I was very fortunate. In fact, I would say that one of the most significant influences on, on me as a young lad growing up was Cousteau and the wonderful documentaries that, that he created, which people my age, and, you know, that's a lot older than you, were completely transfixed by. I mean, they gave us an introduction to the ocean and to exploration that I think I can trace that back to one of the reasons I decided to pursue an oceanic career. But anyway, how did it happen? Well, again, I think it was organic. You know, I think what happened was these yacht owners who, as I said, in many cases, they're passionate ocean advocates. You know, they love diving, they love being underwater. They're inquisitive, they're curious, they are uh, resourceful. And I think what happened is one of our early customers was a gentleman, and I, I normally don't talk about my customers by name, but this gentleman is very vocal about the projects that he's involved in right now, in particular, his most recent undertaking. And so I can, I can use him as a great example of what you're talking about. So Ray Dalio, who purchased a sub from us in 2011, <laughs> uh, probably had no idea the journey that he was going on. 
I think when he bought the sub, he couldn't have imagined what it was going, where it was going to take him. So I think he began thinking this would be fun, great way to explore the ocean. It'd be exciting. It'd be interesting. Go out on a couple of interesting expeditions. But it led to him starting a filming company. And now, of course, they've started Ocean X, which I think is perhaps the most significant platform for collecting content about the ocean and ocean exploration that we've had in many, many decades. So his subs, which were, you know, his first one, which was delivered in 2011, went on to film the deep sea shark documentary that was filmed in Sagami Bay in Japan. Uh, the, the, um, uh, the giant squid documentary. That was, was amazing. I mean, yeah. the first time we I mean, saw right out of the gate, squid. this guy knocks two of them, boom, right out of the park. I that mean, was Ray Dalio? Squid. So that was that, Ray Dalio behind all that. That's right. It was called Alusha wow. Productions at the time. He, Got it. He, he collaborated with NHK, which is Japanese television, and managed to capture the first ever film in HD of, of the giant, uh, squid. giant squid in its natural habitat. And we didn't just capture a glimpse of the giant squid. We filmed it for 22 minutes from 690 meters to 930 meters. So from about 2,300 feet to well over 3,000 feet. And it was unprecedented. And I think it stirred something in him and in many people that encouraged him to double down and expand. So they've just recently taken delivery of what I would describe as the most formidable research vessel that's been created ever. I mean, this thing is- Epic. You know, that's epic. Yeah, it's the equivalent of the USS Enterprise for the ocean. I mean, this thing is going to allow his organization to go out and they've got ROVs and AUVs. They've got two now of our subs fully kitted out for ocean science and exploration. These subs are like a backhoe for the ocean. They've got pumps and suction machines and they've got sampling systems, all of it in an effort to further our knowledge and understanding of the ocean. And right. they've got the most up-to-date, most elaborate science uh, equipment, but also the most sophisticated imaging systems. The idea being to bring this incredibly important content back to the human family, to share it with others, to create the kind of engagement and advocacy that our oceans really need. So yeah. I never saw that coming. I don't think yeah. he saw it coming. And as a result, now we have a number of other clients and some of them you've heard of and some of them I can talk about. One of them is Project Rev, which is a group in Norway that's building the largest yacht in the world. And, and like the Ocean Explorer, which is the Ocean X vessel that Ray Dalio has, uh, the, the um, project Rev Ocean will be, it's a 182 meter vessel. It's going to have AUVs, ROVs. Was that built by the Norwegian billionaire uh, who, was. who depleted Mr. the world's fish Mr. stocks? Ruke. Mr. Yeah. Ruke, who is another person who has done incredibly well in his life. He actually made his money in the fishing business. And I think this is his opportunity to, to give back yeah. Yeah, and to hopefully, and I, I think about you know somebody like Ray or somebody like Mr. Ruke, I mean, it's about leaving a legacy that goes beyond just what you accomplished in your life as a, 
as a hedge fund manager or in the fishing business. Not that those things aren't important achievements or things to be proud of, but I think what 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 they're doing now is arguably way more important because we do have to start thinking differently about the ocean and how we treat the ocean. And, you know, I think people like Ray and his organization, Ocean X and, and Rev Ocean and Mr. Ruke, they're going to create a generation of younger people who will look at the ocean maybe with a different set of eyes mm-hmm. and maybe we'll start we need. to be captivated by it in the same right. way that I was all those years ago, sitting in front of the TV watching Cousteau. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing that you kind of created your product for this very elite exclusive circle, but the surplus to society is actually huge because these these devices can be used to generate public understanding and to capture things that we wouldn't otherwise see. I just think that's really cool. To round this out, I'm trying to I mean, I'm I'm thinking of a few big things about, you know, your what your lessons might be to young people, whether it's be, you know, whether it's specialization and having so much knowledge that you can go out and do something better than it's currently being done. If I were going to give somebody advice, I'd give the same advice my father gave to me, which is, you know, do what you love, work hard at it and success, however you define it, will be the inevitable result. That's what he told me. And I know that they were disappointed when I told them I was going to be a commercial diver. But, you know, I think uh, and, you know, I I didn't start at the top rung. I started sweeping the floor in a in a dive shop in Santa Barbara, California. So I but I worked hard and I had a lot of passion. I had a lot of love for what I was doing and a tremendous interest in it. I think that's really the key. You got to You got to follow your bliss. You got to follow your bliss. You got to do the thing that excites you that interests you that you love and you got to you know it may not be what someone thinks is the smartest thing it may not be the thing that's going to get you rich it but it might be the thing that gives you joy and in the end your journey through life is probably more about the joy you've had and the fantastically interesting experience than it is about how many zeros are in the bank account or you know, what kind of car you're driving or how big your house is. I mean, those are all good things, but it's all about chasing that thing you love, doing that thing that you're passionate about. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Patrick Leahy, co-founder of Triton Submarines, whose inventions have changed the way us land-going mammals can experience, think about, and work towards protecting our oceans. We need to think more about protecting our oceans. We need to protect our seas. We need to save our oceans. It's very, very important. I hope to achieve some progress in it one day. I hope that we can all work towards a more sustainable future, whether it be recycling, whether it be eating sustainably caught seafoods, whatever you can do, make sure that you are playing your part in keeping our oceans clean and ecologically fit. You can learn more about Patrick's company at tritonsubs.com, tritonsubs.com. That was an amazing interview. Certainly one of my favorites. It was very inspirational. And you know we'll be with you guys again next week with another incredible interview. So stay frosty.